At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, good night, whatever time it is that you're tuning in here to Live Drive Radio. Thank you so much and welcome aboard. It's Friday edition, September 17th. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the elder board here in the great state of New York on the longest of islands. And now it's time to bring my LDR teammate on, as always, from the great city of Chicago, out in the Midwest, Mr. Tab Bam. Mr. Tab, how are you today, sir? Oh, it is a beautiful time to be alive in Chicago, as long as you're not uh, hoping that the Bears make a quarterback change, cheering for the Cubs to make the playoffs, or trying to lie to yourself to be excited about the Bulls. Other than that, you know, it's a it's a great time to be in Chicago. Well, the Blackhawks had their uh, photo shoot yesterday, buddy. Flowers all ready to go. Oh, his pads look fantastic. He's going full old school with it. Love it. Look at this. Me and you soon, buddy. Talking puck. Some wicked awesome puck. Wicked awesome puck. Well, anyway, it's nothing but baseball here today on Lawn Drive Radio and every week. Thanks again to everybody for tuning in and sharing and subscribing and all that good stuff. And the uh, the, the wild card race, and that's it, man. The divisions are done. <laughs> but the wild card race uh, carries on across both leagues here. A lot of fun going on here, Tab. A lot of great stories continue to to mold and, and, you know, in and out, uh, you know, you, it's never a dull moment, man. They're having a blast in Philly last night. Love the old unis, man. Good stuff. Just No, the you know. baby blues are, you know, I think a lot of people were worried when Nike took over the on-field jersey contract with Major League Baseball because some of their designs in the NFL have, uh, will nicely say as an admitted shareholder that they've left a little bit to be desired. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I think some people were worried with, were they going to screw it up? Were they going to change things? Cause as much as we've talked this year about statistics being the lifeblood of baseball, the aesthetic of the Jersey and the way that so many of the classic teams have not changed much, if anything, um, you know, some of the younger franchises are able to play with stuff and, and make changes. And nobody really cares. But, you know, if you're going to put a swoosh on the front of the Yankees jersey, heaven help us. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that Nike did this year that I really, really love, and frankly, the kids love it, is baby blue is a hot color right now. And they've got the Cardinals wearing the old baby mm-hmm. blue throwbacks. 
The Twins, I love, love, love the Twins, baby blue throwbacks. Uh, and, yeah, the Phillies were in the baby blues last night. And, again, you know, not a good time to be a Cubs fan. Cubs go out and score seven in the third. Ooh. Staked to a 7-0 lead after two and a half and somehow find a way to lose 17-8. Ouch. I'm just, yeah, I'm just glad the Eagles didn't go for a two-point conversion. <laughs> that would have that cost a few people some money. But at least the Eagles covered the uh, covered the spread against the Bears last night. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Unbelievable! What a show! Better offense in that game than the Giants and Washington football team. What a debacle that was! Yeah, well, that's most of the uh, the NFL, but that's another story for another podcast. As far as football, oh, that's a whole other twelve step program, Paulie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we don't want to go there. Woohoo! All right, so um. I tell you what, let's just uh, we'll, we'll take a quick run around the uh, the divisions here, real quick, and tie into some of our uh, uh, some of the headlines we want to kind of get into. Uh, but uh, you know, things uh, changing, but it's, it's going to be this tight here for the next couple of weeks. Obviously, Yankees last night will start off in the LA East. You know, just man, um, you know, grabbing a game there with the Mets over the weekend, Shea Stadium, which was uh, a hell of a series, had a lot of. Uh, it was some good stuff and bad stuff. As me as a Yankee fan, it just reinforced how much I can't stand the Mets and their organization. <laughs> and, it, and I know I know we're going to talk about them in depth a little later on in the program today, and I'll be looking forward to that. But anyway, the Yanks get out with the one one win in the, in, in the three games, and then they, they start off really well here against Baltimore. And then last night, just really tough to, to see them you know lose the game last night with the Ghost Runner. They had the chance there in the, in the beginning. Guards on there, couldn't bring them in. And, you know, they were beat by some good old-fashioned baseball there with the bunt. You know, yep. uh, Baltimore kind of just kind of gave it to them in old style last night. Yeah. And they lose the game, and now they're, uh, you know, half game out of the wild card just like that. Boom, after just hanging on to the spot here for a long time. It doesn't. It's not over, but, man, with the way the rest of the division's going here, uh, this AL East is just going to be a lot of fun here the rest of the way. And, and of course, obviously the rest of the wild card uh, teams that are in the mix here in the American League. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think, first of all, you know, going back to what you were saying about getting bit by small ball, I think what you're seeing around Major League Baseball as the 2021 season has progressed, as much as people say bunts are stupid, bunts are dead, um, small ball isn't efficient, and we, you know, we've berated the true outcome obsession of Major League Baseball at length this season here on Line Drive Radio. Um, you are seeing more teams being willing to move runners around and take a ball the other way. And the teams that are doing it in many regards are being successful doing it. The White Sox have plenty of power, but Tony La Russa is more than happy to bunt a guy over. Now he had an opportunity to do it the other night and did not, but, um, but Baltimore being willing to move a guy over, I think you're starting to see that. I, we've seen San Francisco do it a lot this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do not have a murderer's row lineup like the Yankees, like the White Sox, like the Astros. But they have become, as I mean, they have the best record in baseball because they manufacture enough runs that they score more than anybody else. And they're sitting four wins ahead of Tampa Bay right now. Uh, as the two likely one seeds, uh, though the Dodgers have slid into the rearview mirror. But jumping back, and I, I love the small ball element. I think 
you know, guy putting the ball in motion, putting runners in motion, little stuff like that. That's what makes the game great. That's where the romance comes in. Be, having to pay attention to more than the specific pitch to the man at the plate. It, that strategy, that intrigue, is what makes baseball so much more than just an indi- a, a video game like experience. And so I'm totally here for it. And That's if it. Baltimore can start moving guys around, that that'll help them. But they've got some good – we've talked this year. Cedric Mullins is going to be a superstar, and they've got more coming. So that, that was a, a huge loss for the Yankees, who find themselves now in fourth place in the American League East uh, at 17 games over 500. Fourth place at 17 games over 500. Yeah, we don't want to what go there. What a time to be alive. It, yeah, it's crazy. Hey, look, real quick. I mean, it's been a while actually watching the, the Yanks here the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, you, they haven't had a lot of extra inning games. So watching last night, and I, I guess, you know, you could tell me, but what the Orioles did last night, I mean, that's that's the recipe right there, right? Got your ghost runner on second, bunt them over, and you got, you know, two outs to get a line, you know, a line drive or, or a deep fly out, and game's over. Yeah. Yeah, well, here's... Is everybody doing that? Because to me, it's like, that's the script. Well, the, here's here's the where the strategy starts to bite you in the ass. If you're the visiting team, the idea of it requiring two outs to score one run is less advantageous because, theoretically, the home team can do the same thing in the bottom half and if they're able to manufacture two runs, you lose. Mm-hmm. And we've placed such an enormous value on individual outs. I mean, that's what dictates Tampa Bay's pitching strategy. That if you're the road team, you really want to play for multiple runs with the guy in second base and nobody out. So it you don't see as many road teams, I think, trying to manufacture an individual run. And part of that too is just there aren't as the the wealth of quality end of game pitching is not spread out very evenly around major league baseball. And so if you've already burned your closer trying to get to extra innings or your closer didn't do it and you've got to go to somebody that you don't trust a hundred percent, um, you know, you feel like one run might not be enough sometimes. And so burning two outs to get one run um, isn't ideal in the eyes of many. To me, a, the lead is the lead. And then you tell whoever's coming in to pitch the bottom of the 10th, 11th, whatever extra inning you're in, free baseball, uh, to put their big boy pants on and go get you three outs without giving anything up. So, uh, but I'm with you. A lead is a lead. Get the lead and then keep the lead and finish your job. But when you're the road team, it's a lot harder to justify uh, via analytics using two outs to manufacture a single run when the other team could do it just as easily behind you and then you keep playing and then you get into bullpen depth and ever, all the other scenarios that nobody wants to talk about. So, uh, But I'm with you. Like, Let's manufacture runs and frankly, I don't know why like it that's exclusively a 10th inning proposition. Mm-hmm. If you get a leadoff double in the third inning and you got the bottom 30 or lineup coming up, manufacture. Yeah. I don't care if you're American League or National League, if your eight hitter can 
hit a fly ball and your seven hitter struggling, why not have them put one down? Why not generate a run out of the bottom half of your offense, especially in the National League where, you, you know, at least for the rest of this year, the pitcher's theoretically another out. Get the run in before you end up with a guy on second and three outs and you've got the leadoff man leading off the next inning. Get the run on the board. At the end of the day, runs win games. So, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, Baltimore is playing with house money. They're working with a lot of young players and seeing what they've got. And so I think for them it was how do we play spoiler at this point? And the problem. They're doing a good job of it. They did it in the, the problem too for, a couple weeks well, ago. The problem for the Yankees is the Yankees and Red Sox have the same 4-6 and six record in their last 10 as the Orioles. And the reason that's a problem for the Yankees and Red Sox is the Toronto Blue Jays are 8-2 and two in their last 10. And I don't think anyone in the free world wants to match up with that offense. If you get a one game against them, I mean, like I, you know, knowing that we were going to break a few things down, I, I pulled the Blue Jays numbers just since the start of September. Yeah, let's do this, man. Okay. But let's spend some time throwing flowers at Toronto because, you know, Canada. <laughs> um, we let off talking hockey, so let's stick with Canada. Yeah, we were talking um, about the, the softy for the Heritage Classic that would they would toss to as well. Oh, oh <laughs> getting the JV Buffalo Sabers in an outdoor game in mid March at three in the afternoon. Good luck with that. Anyway, yeah. bunch of hosers and knobs. <laughs> um, Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, again, this is just in the month of September. Fifteen games played. Everyone's talking about how Vladimir Guerrero Jr who, by the way, no slouch, not diminishing this guy at all. He's got a 1089 OPS. He's got a 355 batting average, 412 on base in the 15 games in the month of September. He is eighth, eighth on the Blue Jays in runs batted in in the month of September. He has driven in seven runs with six homers in the month of September. Leading the way who I think if you if you wander into a bar and you want to win a couple dollars or a free cocktail, uh, fun trivia question, who leads the Toronto Blue Jays and runs batted in in the month of September in 15 games? Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 26 runs batted in in 15 games. He has a 1267 OPS. He's slugging 808. It's insane. He's got 20 hits, five of them left the yard, three doubles, two triples. So 10 of his 20 hits have gone for extra bases. He's got as many walks as strikeouts. It's nuts. Marcus Simeon and Tescar Hernandez, both with 17 runs batted in 15 games. So you got three guys in your lineup who are averaging better than a run batted in per game for the month. For a week, okay. You know, Bo Bichette had five the other night. Cool. Like, that'll help bounce you for a little bit. But, like, you look at the you look up and down their lineup, batting averages in 15 games in the month. Gurriel, 385. Simeon, 300. Hernandez, 400. Bo Bichette, 350. Vladdy, 355. Randall Gritchick, who's played 14 games, 382. You know, and this is without George Springer being back at full strength, full speed. George Springer's played 11 games. He's only betting, he's got a 286 on base, batting 222. So, like, their big money addition in free agency 
who is supposed to be the veteran that kind of takes him to the promised land here, has been kind of a boat anchor offensively. Every, all the kids are just absolutely crushing the ball. So, again, you know, when you look at these standings and you start talking wild card in the American League, um, you're right. Like the divisions are pretty much done in the American League. Houston sprinted out to a big enough lead that, you know, Seattle's lost two in a row, Oakland won two in a row. So they're kind of flip flopping where they are in second place in the American League West. They're both three. Oakland right now, as we talk, three back, Seattle four back in the wild card standings. Um, but if I mean, if you're if you're one who is uh, privy to the uh, gaming industry, it's kind of hard to bet against Toronto not at least getting in, if not winning the wild card, and then making life hell for poor Tampa Bay. Yeah, because again, you talk about offense, and Tampa Bay is a very analytics driven, value outs. They need to get 27 with you scoring fewer runs than they do. How are you going to stop Toronto? I mean, you look at the run differentials in the American League wildcard standings. Boston, there are four teams in the American League wildcard race that have a positive run differential. It falls off a cliff fast. Seattle is minus 65, and they're the only team that's negative within 10 games of the wildcard lead. They are minus 65, which would lead you to believe that They've been punching above their weight class for a little while here. But, again, we've talked about them a lot this year, that they're a bunch of young players that are figuring it out this year. They're kind of where Toronto was last year. Mm-hmm. Oakland's plus 65. Yankees plus 33. Boston plus 60. Those are all really good numbers with 20, 15 games left in the season. Those are respectable. Toronto is plus 175. Last Sunday, the Toronto Blue Jays put 22 on the Orioles. They outscored 14 NFL teams on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 you know, in a four, three, I think it was in a four game stretch, they scored 52 runs. So it, their offense is rolling. The addition of Jose Barrios, I've talked about it. I thought he was the most, one of, probably the most, impactful deal at the trade deadline that nobody really made a big deal about. Everybody was talking about Rizzo and Gallo going to the Yankees. Um, But I think Barrios sliding in with Robbie Ray having a phenomenal season. I mean, the pitching up front for the Blue Jays now, you talk about a one-game playoff and then going into a three-game series. If you've got two starters, it's a problem because you burn one of them in a wildcard game. But if you've got three... Theoretically, whoever throws for you in the wild card game could come back on short rest in the third or probably the fourth game, and it's a much better proposition for your long term success in the postseason, getting out of the wild card and then doing some actual damage. But I mean, plus one seventy five—that's almost triple the next three teams in the wild card race. They're eight and two in their last ten, by far the best in the American League, you know, wild card race in their last ten games. Boston and the Yankees are four and six, as we already said. Oakland's five and five. So they're extending things and making it miserable for anybody that lines up against them. And the, we, we also talked about this earlier this year, Paul. The Yankees' schedule, we were like, you know what? This sets up really well. For, you know, six weeks ago, we were talking, you know, the Yankees' schedule sets up really nicely. Not as because nice if they, as the Blue if, if, they, if they can line up, you know, the right lead in the division here with – now they got Cleveland this weekend, then they got Texas. 
Okay. So if you've got six games against Cleveland and Texas, let's say, and this is with their pitching staff being banged up, and it looks like Garrett Cole's only going to start once in mm-hmm. those six games. Not ideal, but Corey Kluber needs to, again, put his big boy pants on and throw like the guy that they're paying. Mm-hmm. After you get done with Texas on the 22nd, you have nine games left in the season. If the Yankees want to get in the playoffs, the table is set for them to own their own destiny. Three in Boston, three in Toronto, and home for three against Tampa to finish the season. It is all right there in front of the New York Yankees. So they yeah. got to go do it. So they got to go That's do it. it. And yeah. these next six games are critical. As I mean, you can realist- sense in my, my tone of voice tab, I'm not the boisterous, excited Yankee dude from a week where's ago. The, where's the optimism? Where's the swagger? Yeah. Where's the well, they're winning the World Series? Well, I, tell you, I don't care. Yeah, I know. I don't, look, I think it's not over yet. Until the last strike, the last pitch, well, you know, I'm, I'm hanging in there with them. You know that. I'm never going to give up. But I'm also looking at the uh, Blue Jay schedule here, too, speaking of schedules. They've got seven left with Minnesota. And they've got another three with Baltimore. So you might say that that's 10 layups. And they've just scored 14 runs against Tampa Bay in three games set at home. And they've got three more games coming up with them before, you know, again, a pivotal series for, like you just mentioned, against the Yankees. I mean, that's well, what we're only, here it's only, That series is only pivotal for the Yankees if the Yankees handle their business with Cleveland and Texas. Exactly. I, I if they go three and three in the next six, forget it. You don't deserve it. They need six wins. Yes. They can't settle for less than four. They've got to win both series. Right. They should sweep one of them, but they, they need six wins. They need to sweep the next six games against teams that are out of it. And, and, this, and this is the problem with, with the game last night. You know, just throwing it away there and, you know, the, the not burying a team, not taking care of business. You know, yeah, the, 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 the pitching staff is banged up and everything else, and and the batting has been erratic. <laughs> you know what? Now now you have to just start being smart about things. That's not going to win you a spot in the wild card. Nevertheless, you know anything else. And, well, and unfortunately, three and three, going three and three in six games against the Orioles in September isn't going to get you in the playoffs no, either. Not at all. So, and, but, and, and, but and know. a week or so ago. I'm looking at the Yankee schedule going, there's no way they're going to blow this. There's no way they're going to they're going to lay up against the Orioles. And sure enough, they did. And they they you know, losing two out of three to the Mets too. It's no good. And and you know, Paul, God bless New York. I love y'all. Uh the cycle of who's replacing Aaron Boone at the end of the year to Aaron Boone as the manager of the year. We're right back to who's replacing Aaron Boone at the end of the year. And you know what? <laughs> you you bring up the extra inning thing. You don't have a lineup that's built to bunt a guy over. You have a lineup that's built to hit balls 500 feet. Mm-hmm. And you're not asking Joey Gallo to put a bunt down. You're not asking Giancarlo Stanton to put a bunt down. You're giving them the green light on 3-0 like they're your mean Mercedes. I mean, not all of us can be, but you know you can you can have aspirations. Which year but, after year now is just proving that this. Unfortunately, it's just this kind of recipe or this kind of lineup is just not going to do it. Well, and I think now you're starting to have a little bit of pressure on Brian Cashman because I believe this is the 29th consecutive year. Uh, It's more than 25 that the Yankees have finished above 500. Yes. Which is breathtaking. It's just it's 
that is stupid to Greatest consider. Greatest team in the world, over, man. Over 500 for three straight decades is kind of amazing. But you're in New York. And That's the Yankees are. Yet the Yankees ownership, the fans are not here for finishing above 500 every year. You're here for parades and jewelry being distributed. Yes. And winning 93 games and finishing fourth in the division, 93 games is respectable. It would have won you probably two other divisions. It doesn't mean a damn thing in New York. And everything is relative. And you could say that we were relatively successful compared to other teams that are in the playoffs. But getting a wild card berth ain't good enough for the New York Yankees. It's not. And you don't give you don't mortgage the level of prospects that they did at the deadline to go get Gallo and Rizzo. You're renting Rizzo to put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole and act like your pitching staff wasn't the problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's uh, it'll be interesting, but I do have some solace, some hope. For the Yankees, though, most Yankees fans would say Kluber's on the bump tonight. Screw you. They're going to lose because Kluber sucks. But uh, at home against Cleveland tonight, pitching is uh, one of my favorite MLB Network analysts who shares a birthday with yours truly February 4th. Also born on February 4th, uh, Tab Bamford, uh, Dan Plesak, Denny Savard, Lawrence Taylor, and Oscar De La Hoya, just to name a few. Damn good day. You know, all icons and me. Um, <laughs> Zach Plesak, Dan's nephew, is pitching for the Cleveland Indians tonight, who owns a, a pretty unique distinction in baseball history. They should have made a baseball card out of this. Maybe they will next year. The Cleveland Indians slash Guardians slash or artists formerly known as a team whose name you care about um, have been no hit three times this year. They suffered a combined no-hitter to the Milwaukee Brewers uh, last weekend. Phenomenal performance. Beauty. Uh, but it was the third time this year that the Cleveland Guardians slash Indians slash whatever the hell they are were, have been no-hit. Zach Plesak has started all three games <laughs> that his offense failed to get off the bus. Which, you know, if, if you're him and you're going to arbitration this winter and they're like, well, you know, wins and losses, you can be like, <laughs> we got no-hit three times, go to hell. What am I supposed to do? I can't throw a no-hitter every time out. And in 20% of my starts, my team got no hit. Give me the DA spot. Get no me in there. Give me a bat. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I, w- I would have bunted for a single. I can run. <laughs> you know, you let Lindor walk, and this is what this is what I get. Unreal. Uh, no, so maybe, you know, maybe Cooper fight, dusts off a gamer. You know, you He's, uh, he's he's flirted with some intriguing things this year. Uh, maybe no, there will be no no hitter tonight. No, no, it's like not I said, happening. I tell I tell you, Kluber's uh, going into a game here, and there's all sorts of <laughs> fun with no hitters, and you're like, yeah, no, Kluber's going to get hit. Uh, he's going to get hit hard and frequently, and they're going to have to score runs. But you never know. Zach Plesek has, uh, you know, a little bit of a horseshoe lodged somewhere in his posterior area when it comes to uh, getting no hit on the wrong side. So, no, it sets up. The good news for the Yankees is they've got six games against teams that they should beat, and then they own their destiny. True. On the road, 
in Boston for three with the Sunday night game on the 26th of September uh, in Boston and then three in Toronto. Their destiny is right there for them, and they're a half game out. And if not, behind it's Boston be a and Toronto. Brutal road trip. And you know what? I think that the next three weeks will determine Aaron Boone's fate. I really do. Uh, you know, I don't think the current generation of Steinbrenners have shown that they are nearly as trigger happy as uh, the old man was. Um, God bless him. He had no problem firing Billy Martin in the third inning and putting him back back in the dugout in the seventh. Good old days. Oh, uh, can you imagine Twitter with Billy Martin and oh. George Steinbrenner? Uh, which we're going to talk about owners, owners and Twitter and a little bit later. <laughs> we're going to get into owners being on Twitter a little yes. later today. But looking holy to cow, if if George, um, he would have needed. You know, I already referenced George Costanza. Costanza would have needed to take the phone away from him probably. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the good news for the Yankees is that it, is that it's all right in front of them, and they've got a great opportunity here to. To get after it, the problem with the Yankees, and I ask you this as a Yankee fan, Paul, if you they're not catching Tampa, let's just put that one to bed. They're fighting for their wild card lives. Let's say the Yankees get in the wild card. I would confidently say that Garrett Cole is the best pitcher who would go in the wild card between Toronto, Boston, the Yankees, and let's include Oakland and Seattle just for craps and giggles here because they're still in the relative conversation within four games. Garrett Cole is the best pitcher who would throw in a wild card game. Chris Sale, obviously an argument there. But you you go Garrett Cole in the wild card game. Let's say you somehow get out of the wild card game because Garrett Cole does what Garrett Cole does. What the hell do you do if you're the Yankees in the next series with Garrett Cole getting burned in the wild card? Well, first of all, you're you're incredibly lucky that you've even gotten past the wild card game number one or getting to it. Right. But, uh, no, you, you, I, I firmly believe you, you got to pitch your best guy if he's available in that wild card game because you got right, a three but, game. But, that, but then what do you do? I mean, well, obviously you they've just, got questions about a roll. All right, chat. so what you do is a lot to be desired. Well, what you do is you, you, you take a look at the body of the work for the season. I mean, you just talk about how good the Yankees would be in any other division across the league, right? So you take this body of work. If they get into that wild card game, depending on who they play, and if Cole's available. If it's me, I'm pitching him to get to the next round. And then you've got three games to, to mess around with. You could get a, uh, a rain washout. You could get an extra day. Anything could happen. You win the first game, you you kind of breathe a little bit. You, but you but, have but to who, get to that series. But who pitches game two? That's Doesn't my matter. I'm Star Chapman as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, you're, you're going full Joe Madden and telling, you, <laughs> telling him to go get you seven, huh? Why not? At that point, you know? It, it, you make a, a very good point. It's, but uh, you know, I just I wonder openly here with the current state of affairs with the Yankees pitching staff, with injuries really wreaking havoc. And I think that that's where I say, you know, running Aaron Boone. Maybe we don't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater here because I'm not sure that I would put absolutely everything on his shoulders because when. Garrett Cole's the only starting pitcher that you really have left that you trust. You know, it's it's kind of you know what are we doing here? Well, then because uh, now we're but but if, but but if you've got to burn, it's it feels like a win to lose proposition for the New York Yankees 
if they've got to burn Garrett Cole in the wild card. I mean, look. Well, Ted, then, 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 you're, then you're going with the lineup that we just talked about, right? So they can't play the small ball, whatever. You know, they can't play that kind of game. Then you're going, you're, you're going with the army that you have at the plate. That's what you got to do. You, you win that wild card game, you get into that three-game series, and you just throw everything at them. I mean, come on, look at this, this lineup. You're just going to club. Tr- That's what you've got, Gallo and Rizzo. Yeah, just freaking, you got to crush the ball. Get 9-11 runs to help whoever you got going here. I mean, at that it, point, that's what you're doing. So so let's just go with this, you know, a little bit here. The three guys who, in my mind, would be your options to start game one of a division series, assuming Garrett Cole gets you out of the wild card. Nestor Cortez. Love Nestor. Love Nestor. And by the way, like, I don't know when they brought, uh, you know, mustache, lip well, sweater. The mustache is finger. the whole thing. It's the best. Like, wh- when did they make uh, lift sweaters an option for Yankees? I, th- I thought you had to be clean. You got Nestor Cortez, Jordan Montgomery, or Luis Hill. I think it's his good luck, Sean. That's why they're not shaving it off, man. Oh, no. It's like I, Super Mario out there, brother. I love it. <laughs> oh, and you know what? Look, he, he's thrown pretty well. But that that's where my concern starts to creep in is Kluber has shown that I don't think you can trust him a whole lot. He's given up six earned runs and seven and two-thirds in September. I I would think that, you know, Heel started out great. He had a rough go in his last start. I would think Cortez is probably your game one starter if you get out of it. So, um, and, you know, the big – Buddy, the if big I got to pro- go pitch for him, I'll go do it. If that's I mean, the and, case. I mean, Andrew Haney shouldn't even be on the playoff roster. Tyon going down hurts. The, for me, the biggest loss to that entire pitching staff was when Loisega went on the shelf because – he actually gave you a second option in the ninth inning. He was throwing lights out. And if you're going to go opener, he would be a guy who's been a starter in the past who I would say, go get me two innings, kid, because he pitched that well. But, I mean, you've got some really young names. You've got some old guys who aren't getting it done. It's You look at the stats page in September for the Yankees, and outside of Garrett Cole, eh, Okay, so again... You know, and this will we'll, this like this is all hypothetical. Obviously, Yanks win the wild card with Garrett Cole. They get into the next round. They get into the next series. You're yeah. talking about Aaron Boone here. If this is his scene, whatever. And as far as I'm concerned, in that three game series too, just like I mean, if you got to piecemeal this thing in, send a guy in for two innings, send a guy in three. At that point, it just doesn't goddamn matter. You're just you're you're at that point. The Yankees are in a situation, unfortunately, with everything that's going on this year, and as far as their schedule is concerned. And like I said, the big point is 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 the, the, the pitching has been decimating. They don't have they don't have the guns. So what you do have is you have this arsenal of a lineup, and these guys basically have to step up. And that's been the issue with this team. This this team really isn't any different over the last five six seasons. It's the same guys back there, you know. Outside, like I I miss Didi so much as far as what he brought to the team and and yeah. chipping away at some small ball. I mean, they miss those kind of guys. Uh, on the team to kind of mix it up a little bit, you know, you, you, with a guy like DJ LeMayo and everything else. But the rest of these guys, too, they need to get up and they need to step up. I mean, Stanton, you know, Gliber. I mean, the rest of these guys need to just, they got to do what they're paid to do, and that's crush the yeah. goddamn ball. And that's the only way the Yankees get through this. And if you're a team that's built like that and you go up against great pitching and you get stymied, and they figure out your routines and everything else, and they get you. And then, like I said, you look at who the Yankees have lost to. 
Look at the pitchers that have beat them. So, yeah, it doesn't look good. But getting back to the yeah, original question, which, you pitch call, and then you just go for it. Well, I think it comes back to the larger issue, and that is we've talked here and on other shows. Early in the year, we talked about you know, Joe Madden moving on from the Cubs. We talked a lot about this at the trade deadline with the Cubs breaking up. We've talked about it on our hockey show about coaches like Joel Quindle moving on after a decade when it was the roster construction more than it was him. Mm-hmm. Similar situation to Aaron Boone here. There's a shelf life for people in professional sports where you can be really good for a really long time, but at some point you need a fresh face, you need a fresh voice, you need a fresh vision to have the culture move forward. And I think we've reached a place now where you have to ask questions about what the realistic shelf life is for Brian Cashman running the ship in New York. Because they have mortgaged pitching in deals a lot. They've been playing to win, understandably, a lot. But they are financially invested heavily in Garrett Cole and nothing else from a pitching perspective. Aroldis is getting some bread, but they're a one-man band from a pitching staff perspective. Jamison Tyon was a, let's see what we can get out of this guy. And he's been, I, I think he was a terrific surprise this year, but two former Pirates, good for them. But <laughs> it's a, I, I do wonder, what is the realistic shelf life for Brian Cashman? And is there a time, and I don't think he gets fired, I think he walks off into the sunset on his own terms because of the body of work that he's done for the Steinbrenner family and the Yankees faithful, but... At what point do you need a fresh voice and a fresh vision? Because I don't think Aaron Boone has been the problem. I think that the roster that he's been given is the problem. And a lot of people said that before the deadline. You are exclusively right-handed, with the exception of Brett Gardner, who on a team with World Series aspirations is maybe a fifth outfielder. Mm-hmm. Love the guy, but you know he's a defensive replacement. He can get you a couple ABs a week. He can get you a spot start. But if you're relying on him... A, as a regular contributor in the outfielder, and B, as the only left-handed bet that you have, that's a problem. And they're grossly overpaying Aaron Hicks to not do anything. And then he goes out at the deadline, and he adds big left-handed bats in Rizzo and Gallo, but he didn't address what they really need, and that was bullpen depth and go get yourself another starting pitcher. Toronto went and got Barrios. Boston got Chris Sale back, but... They didn't, because of Chris Sale, I don't think that they necessarily had to mortgage anything, but they went and got Kyle Schwarber to add another dynamic to their lineup. My question is, at what point do you allow, do you have to have a conversation about Brian Cashman using the the financial resources that he has and the prospect depth in the organization, which by the way, Baseball America just updated their top 100 earlier this week, and the Yankees have three out of the top 100 prospects. And they mortgaged some pretty good capital to go get Rizzo and Gallo at the deadline. So you're not talking about like Baltimore or Detroit where you've got like a half dozen of the top 100 and you're going to be there soon. You're a team that's in your window. You're spending money telling people you're in your window. But you have to supplement that from inside. And they have not done that adequately in recent years. And frankly, they've had guys come up that were a flash in the pan early and have disappointed at the major league level. The, develop, the continual development and the continued improvement of young players 
and I'm looking specifically at Glaber Torres and Gary Sanchez, mm-hmm. has been a massive disappointment. Yes, it has. And so I think what you're looking at with the Yankees right now, which sounds insane in the context of having had a losing season in 29 years, is are there organizational deficiencies that mean you need a change of voice, change of face, change of overall approach? And I think the Yankees are there right now. I think that's where the Yankees are at. You don't roll off 13 in a row and then somehow find yourself out of the wild card. I mean, they were four weeks ago. We got a 10 days after they lost to the White Sox in that amazing field of dream game. And they were a lock. They were a lock for October. And we were talking about how they were going to line it up and how many games they could get Garrett Cole to go out and throw in the first round of the playoffs because they weren't going to need to throw him in the wild card because they were playing. They, they were cash. Mm-hmm. And now we're like, what the hell's going on? And I, I have, I struggle to fault Aaron Boone. Now the development of guys like Sanchez and Glaber, I think that does fall on the coaching staff, which ultimately does trickle up to the manager role and the staff that he puts together. But at some point, I think you have to ask that question. Do the Yankees need significant change off the field to improve the ultimate performance on the field? And I think we've gotten to that point with the New York Yankees. Well, maybe my, they can hire your boy, Jeff Gorton. No, yeah. <laughs> Shot well, look, at the as Rangers. Far as, as far as history, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as history goes with the Yankees, Boone's got at least five more years. Because, you know, uh, Girardi had nine after Torrey's 11. And the fact that, uh, you know, Torrey was a Joe and Girardi was a Joe and Aaron's not a Joe. I mean, you know, it's, uh, he's had he's a done pretty good up, run. He's done messed up, Aaron. I, um... You know, the Tory thing, you know, when you know, so as a Yankee fan, you know, when you get to that moment and all that success and at the end of that that run and it didn't end all that well here for for the Yanks and Tory, but you know, uh, as far as his body of work, you know, you, you can never complain about what happened there. It was a magic run. Girardi comes in, you love them as a player. And that whole thing too, the transition of Girardi leaving New York here, you know, you love them and hate them, you know, decision making there in the playoffs and everything else, but you know, prior to Boone, I, I didn't want to see Joe Girardi go. You know, I love the yeah. way Joe was 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 coaching the team. I, and that's me. You know, and I think a lot of fans also like them too. But he goes, now Aaron comes in here. Aaron, this is, um, you know, he's four years into this gig here. This is his first managerial thing. So you get, if you look at the, if a lot of the core of these guys are staying, I don't know. I don't have a problem really with Boone staying here in New York, and, and maybe that's just a, a New York thing for... It's weird. You get, you're going to have people on the fence who want them out of here, you know? And then you're going to... There's a portion of the fan base here, too, and you, and you look at, you know, how close they've come. And does he have the right lineup? Ha, had he had better pitching? You know, and, and he got closer, obviously, more success in the playoffs and everything in less time. And now this is his fourth year in the team. You know, I, I I get everything that you're saying, and Cashman. I mean, it's weird. I mean, this is a this is a long run here for Cashman. It's a lot yeah. of winning. Uh, it but is. Getting back to your point here, for Yankee fans, uh, for the, the 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 franchises like you know Manchester United in soccer, the Montreal Canadiens hockey. You know, when it gets to being a long time to, since you have silverware, that's what it's all about. Especially yeah. when your 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 organization, your team, the value of your team. Uh, the effect your team has on the rest of the league that you play on, you need to win. And the further mm-hmm. you get away, the longer you get away from not winning a championship, 
you start to fade. And yeah. the Yankees and you are don't, you don't have anybody on that roster that's a homegrown champion. Think about that. I mean, we 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 talked about. But you could see like you could see a guy like Aaron about Judge being like a, a Jeter down the road. You know what I'm saying? But we Just talked about of... the Jeter influence when he went into the Hall of Fame, and for 20 years they had a homegrown champion on the roster, or let's say for 18 years he, he didn't have one when he got there. We also point out real quick, Kev, that he that all those guys played for the right manager at the right time. So it's kind of. Where we're at True. right now with Boone. Yeah. Absolutely. And let's also just be completely transparent here. Derek Jeter's don't grow on trees. <laughs> okay? <laughs> you know, you could talk about the Bulls haven't done crap since Michael Jordan left. Well, they don't – the good Lord doesn't make them very often. Yeah. So um, – but the Yankees went out and got Anthony Rizzo both because – and I've made the Paul O'Neill comparison at length, but he's got a ring. And – so you they when it's been two decades plus since the Yankees went out and had to find people outside the organization to show the homegrown talent how to win, mm-hmm. and I think that that's part of your problem is you're not growing your own champions. Mm-hmm. You're trying to bring people in to teach them how to win, and again, going back to the Jeter thing, that's why they brought in Paul O'Neill because he had a ring and he knew what it took. And there were other guys that they brought in who knew what it took to win and had been really good for a long time to surround those young players, which begs the question, does Rizzo get extended by the Yankees? And what does that do for Luke Voigt's future and all the other stuff that we'll get into once the offseason hits? And the question I think we've been asking for the last few minutes is, when will the offseason start for the New York Yankees? Will it be after 162, 163? Or later than that. But you're right. If the Yankees are going to do anything in October, it is going to be because Garrett Cole pitches at the Cy Young level that you're paying him to when he can, and the bats bludgeon people into submission the rest of the time. And I think the really scary proposition for the Yankees right now is if outscoring your opponent is how you're going to try to win the wild card, and the wild card is Toronto. They're not doing it the way Toronto's doing it right now. Yeah. I mean, that might be a 20, that might be an NFL score. Yeah. And that's, and, that's how, there's no other way. Yeah. And, and Toronto's going to have a pitcher go out there who has just as much a right to be throwing postseason baseball, whether it's Ray or Barrios or Ryu. Blue Jays are going to have a legit pitcher on the mound there, too. If it's Boston and New York and you get Garrett Cole, Chris Sale in the wild card, uh, whatever TV network airs that is going to just, go play the Powerball tonight because that's <laughs> the kind of Boston, New York, and you've got Chris Sale and Garrett Cole. One game means everything. Forget it. But the problem here is you've got two other teams in your division. The problem you is play the Toronto at, Blue Jays. That's what the problem is. Well, Yeah, the problem is the Blue Jays. and the pro, But the good news, again, we'll put a bow on the Yankees here. Um, the good news is that the New York Yankees are looking at three weeks in which they control their destiny. They're half game back right now. They've got six games that they should win coming up. And then they've got three in Boston, three in Toronto, and they finish the year with the race. They control their destiny. So if you're Aaron Boone, if you're guys on that roster like Rizzo who need money next year, if you're guys on that roster who may find yourself being traded out of town because you haven't gotten it done, Sanchez Torres, 
you're it's time to again i used the big boy pants reference a few times here but it's time to tighten it up a little bit and go play ball because you're getting to play ball and on paper and we've seen it in the past this yankees team can do it but can they do it as well as the red Sox or blue jays here in the next three weeks we'll see we certainly will. We will see indeed. Lots to come up here. So before we break for the good and the bad here, let's just scoot over to the National League real quick here. Uh, we got to talk about Max Scherzer a little bit. Uh, Dodgers and the Giants are in. They are the first teams in the league here with the X's next to their names. Uh, congratulations to them. It's been uh, just fantastic watching the Giants all season long. And kudos to the Dodgers. Uh, with the Trevor Bauer nonsense, uh, injuries here and there, uh, the acquisition here at Scherzer, and everything they've done, uh, 94 wins for the Dodgers, 95 for, for uh, Frisco here. Uh, those two teams, I mean, I don't know. The rest of the league, even my uh, Brewers here and, and whoever comes out of the East, I mean. I mean Nobody face. wants to come out of the East. I oh mean, you God. look. Yeah, I know. We, right? we, we've given them <laughs> crap all year, but let's just be real. Philly's now won a couple in a row. Atlanta's starting to slide back. The Mets, I don't think we include them at this point. Respectfully, I think they've had some moments. I think Javier Baez has gone from being a hero to being the villain to being the hero again. You've got the same Mets fans that wanted him to never put on the uniform again. DFA him, even though we gave up you know, our future everyday center fielder to get him. They're now like bat him clean up and, you know, build the altar. Um, but again, same as the Yankees, it, it's a pitching problem. And with DeGrom being gone since the first week of July, it just has not been there for the Mets. And again, they mortgaged some really good prospects to fix holes that were not their most glaring need. But a couple things here in the National League. Uh, first of all, uh, shout out to the St. Louis Cardinals for winning five straight. They've got a half game lead on the Padres. Now they're seven and three in their last 10. Think about this. They're in the second wild card spot in the national league with a negative five run differential. And we just talked about the blue Jays being plus plus one seventy-five. Uh, so think about that. Like when you talk about pitching, getting it done, mm-hmm. Adam Wainwright having an insane year for a guy who's on the wrong side of 40, um, St. Louis has been really impressive, and I've crapped on them all year about they went out and made the big deal for Arenado and thought he and Goldschmidt would lead them to the promised land, and a lot of the other guys letting Colton Wong walk. You know, lots of people think that that was a backfire. You look at, you know, what Rosarena is doing in Tampa and Adolis Garcia is doing in Texas, and you're like, your outfield doesn't look that good, and you you had these two guys in the system. Every single negative argument you could possibly make about the Cardinals has been made, will be continue to be made, but here they are in the second wild card spot, 17 games back of the Dodgers, without a chance in hell of beating the Dodgers. But <laughs> they are get the cu- there, right? They're on the cusp of, of getting in the dance. So let's throw some flowers at the St. Louis Cardinals as much as there's a gag reflex from a Cubs fan doing that. Um, but the Dodgers, you're right. Like, look, they went out and got Trevor Bauer, and they were the evil empire that the Yankees were supposed to be. And then he ends up being a fraud and a terrible human being, and they have to basically punt him. So what? So what do they do? I mean, this is this is the old Steinbrenner tactic. You bring a guy in who's a superstar. He doesn't work. You run him to the curb, and you go get another superstar. They go out and get Max Scherzer, who took a perfect game into the eighth last Sunday, and reached his three thousand 
career strikeout, which uh, 3,000 career Ks. He's the 19th pitcher to do it. And as Tyler Kepner tweeted uh, last week, he has 674 career walks, which is the fewest of anyone in the 3,000 strikeout club. Uh, I would comfortably say that Max Scherzer, who has been dominant, he's got a sub-1 ERA with 72 walks to five strikeouts in his first 51 innings, five earned runs against since going to L.A. The Dodgers have won all eight of his starts. Um, I would say with a fair amount of confidence in a wide-open race that Max Scherzer will win the National League Cy Young Award this year because of what he's done since going to L.A., Mm-hmm. which is ridiculous that they took last year's Cy Young Award winner and realized he was a piece of crap human being and put him out to the curb with the rest of the trash and brought in Scherzer, who's going to win it this year. And he might steal it from his teammate, Walker Bueller, who's been amazing. Yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I, Max Scherzer is a generational talent. I think he and Verlander have been the best right-handers of the post-Pedro generation, with all due respect to Garrett Cole. He's younger. I think Scherzer is a first ballot Hall of Famer, as is Verlander. And what he's doing in L.A. right now in a contract year um, is really, really amazing. So let's go ahead and tip our caps to Scherzer and the dominance that he's put out there. But we, we talk about, you know, the Yankees fighting to get in, these teams that are scrapping to get the wild card. Imagine being 41 games over 500 and being in the wild card race. It's nuts. The Dodgers are 41, 41 games over 500. It's a 162-game season. If you're 40 games over 500, you're doing a couple things right. Their run differential is plus 244. They haven't given up their 500th run yet. So just you know, put that in the pipe and smoke it for a while. They are 17 games clear of the St. Louis Cardinals in the wild card. They have clinched a spot. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. They've won six in a row. But again, Giants... Giants have lost a couple in a row here, but they're still 8-2 and two in their last 10. The Dodgers are basically breaking even, treading water. It seems like every time we talk, Paul, every week, the Dodgers are rolling, and you look at their last 10, and they're break-even with the Giants. The Giants haven't had a rough stretch the entire stinking season. Yep, And so, real. like, kudos to the Giants for hanging on. they got a one-game lead right now. I don't think that – I think if the Cardinals get the Giants in the wild card, that's a whole other conversation because of the way that Wayno's throwing the ball right now. But you know what we want, Tab? We want the Padres to play the Dodgers in the wild card game. And then the Padres to beat the Dodgers. uh, Yeah. What what do I say every week, Paul, when we talk wild card? Embrace the chaos. Embrace the chaos, yes. That's the chaos I want. But if, if you're a TV network here, and I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but here we go, rabbit hole. (laughs) <laughs> you've got to be sitting back if you're Fox or ESPN or whoever's going to have those two wild card games, you've got to be sitting back and just absolutely, you know, rubbing your rosary until the poor thing falls apart that you get Chris Sale and Garrett Cole in the American league and you get the Cardinals and Dodgers give you four blue blood franchises in the wild card. I think that's what the TV networks would love. Yeah. I would love to have Toronto get into the playoffs and make a run. It's a great sports town. It's a fun team. It's a young team. They're going to make life hell for Tampa and the Red Sox and the Yankees for probably the next five to seven years because of the young, the youth that they've got. And then the complete opposite end of the coin is the Cardinals, who are relying on a 40-year-old pitcher and Yadier Molina 
at the end of the rope here. I mean, it's it's Yachty has already said last year's his last season. Um, and I think the Cardinals are a team when we talk about manufacturing runs. You got a negative five run differential. You are manufacturing enough offense to win you games in St. Louis. Goldschmidt and Arenado are both playing at incredibly solid levels. Um, but I, I think if if you're the if you're the Cardinals, you love, you would prefer the Giants. But I I think if you can get Red Sox, Yankees, Cardinals, Dodgers, you've got four blue blood teams with great passionate fan bases going to work on each other with in a one game means everything scenario. And that would be great, but I'm rooting for Toronto because I love them. I think the Dodgers are primed to do some real damage here. And I think if you can get Dodgers giants in the first full round of the divisional playoffs, you know, that sets up for just incredible theater because obviously the fans hate each other. Uh, you know, you got Chris Bryant in a walk here as a storyline. You got Scherzer in a walk here as the other storyline. Seager, the World Series MVP, is out at the end of this year, Yankees. And, you know, it, you've got all sorts of stuff going on here. And I, it, this is, we've talked about this. A lot of people crap on Bud Selig's tenure because of steroids, but bringing in the wild card, we are talking about four to six teams in both leagues right now having a fighter's chance of a playoff berth on the 17th of September when all when five of the six divisions are in the books pretty much. Yeah. The only one that's not decided is the National League East because it it's just a smoldering dumpster at this point. <laughs> they all suck. <laughs> yeah, it's so bad. Um, you know, the Braves would be the third team in the wild card race in the National League, but here they are with a division league. Um, no, it, it, this is what makes baseball so much fun, and these conversations would not be happening right now if Bud Selig hadn't put the wild card in after the lockout. So... Tip of the cap to C-League. He did a lot financially for the league, and one of the big financial booms that the league enjoyed was adding the wild card in this year as much as maybe any year. You've got blue blood teams. You've got big rivalries. You've got incredible storylines. You've got young performers like Vladdy chasing a triple crown in the midst of all of this, and it just sets up for a really exciting three weeks of baseball to finish a regular season that, you know, knock on wood, we've had some COVID issues, but... No, no shutdowns, no games missed. You know, so Major League Baseball is going to pull off a full marathon this year with everything going on outside of the game. Um, and, you know, they're hoping to have full houses for the postseason. So it'll be fun. And I'm really looking forward to see who we ultimately get in those wild card games and how those matchups shape up because we've, we've got a lot of fun to talk about here as we get into October. Absolutely, no doubt about it. We are here for it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors. And when we come back, we'll do the good and the bad. And then get out your pens and papers for Tab's Fantasy Ad of the Week. You listen to Line Drive Radio right here on the Revolver Podcast Network. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Line Drive Radio, right here on the Revolver Podcast Network. Big thanks to everyone, as always, every week, tuning in, sharing, and subscribing. So, buddy, Tad, we've uh, run through the standings here a little bit, and uh, let's try and get some uh, 
off the field stuff that's going on. And some really good stuff, obviously, uh, this week. And I know you're, uh, you've got a great, um, I don't know how to say it, uh, your involvement, obviously, um, with Hispanic heritage in, in baseball and obviously uh, Roberto Clemente Day and all this stuff. Why don't you just take it away? Nobody better to talk about this than you. Yeah, so Wednesday was Roberto Clemente Day uh, across Major League Baseball. Um, and, you know, it's something that the league has done for a number of years here. Uh, the Roberto Clemente Award, if you ask players, I have asked players of a number of different uh, backgrounds. I've talked to Anthony Rizzo, a former winner from when he was with the Cubs. I've spoken with Curtis Granderson, uh, who won it. Um, really incredible um, respect for what the Clemente Award means because of who he was as a player. Uh, you talk to young players now who are Latino, certainly Puerto Ricans, where Clemente was from, but it really doesn't limit itself to Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. um, and Roberto Clemente is still considered the godfather of Latino ballplayers um, who, you know, obviously tragically died in a plane crash going to deliver supplies to Nicaragua after a huge earthquake on New Year's Eve. Uh, his final hit in the major leagues was his 3,000th. Uh, I have seen uh, the cap that he wore when he hit his 3,000th hit. There's still dust on the brim from where he tipped his cap to the home stands. I get goosebumps and choke That's up when amazing. I think about that. Um, one of the most universally revered players in baseball. And every year they spend time at the beginning of Hispanic Heritage Month celebrating Clemente's legacy in the game. And they've opened it up a little bit where some players uh, will not wear 21 because of Clemente. The last Puerto Rican player to win 21 was Carlos Delgado. Um, young guys like Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor won't wear it. Yadier Molina won't wear it out of respect. And on Clemente Day, uh, they opened it up for players to change numbers as long as they gave the club uh, ample notice, uh, any player uh, or personnel on field uh, of Puerto Rican descent were allowed to wear it. And for the first time this year, MLB opened it up for other players and personnel to wear 21. Miguel Cabrera, who's Venezuelan, wore 21. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that it, it was, you know, we've talked about Major League Baseball doing a good job having their crap together when they make the schedule. Yankees playing the Mets on 9-11 is a great example of that. Uh Subtly, they had, and it worked out, after they didn't know this when they made the schedule, but post-trade deadline, it worked out great. The Cardinals played the Mets uh, on Roberto Clemente Day. And you had three of the more influential, more significant, more superstar uh, level players of Puerto Rican descent on the field wearing 21 together. Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, and Yadier Molina. Um, I only like so, Yadier, by the way, and I, I, I don't. No offense to the Bias fans, but he's wearing a Mets shirt now. So this is true. So, <laughs> um, but look, I mean, the, the Met, the Mets have got a, a number of other guys: Seth Lugo, um, 
but uh, Edwin Diaz also, um, you know, one of those Puerto Rican guys who, who does a, a nice job um, and was part of that incredible World Baseball Classic Puerto Rican team from a few years back. Um, but I, I think Major League Baseball did a great job this year of honoring Clemente's legacy, talking about what he was as more than a player, uh, an advocate for the game, an advocate for uh, social equity, a very outspoken. Uh, in fact, uh, Major League Baseball postponed opening day once, uh, and it was because Roberto Clemente said, a Puerto Rican, that they shouldn't take the field on the day of Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral. And his teammate, his teammates got behind him, and they ended up banging the entire day wow. and pushing it back out of respect. And that was largely because of the influence of Roberto Clemente, um, an incredible humanitarian. Uh, and the entire Pirates team had 21 on, not because of their win percentage being 210 this year, but because of Roberto Clemente. The right field wall where he played for Pittsburgh, obviously not in the new ballpark, is 21 feet tall because of Clemente. One of the more beautiful statues you'll see outside of any ballpark is Clemente in Pittsburgh. Um, but I think Major League Baseball did a really nice job honoring Clemente's legacy this year, which leads me to a big question, the big question of the day for you, Paul. Major League Baseball has retired number 42 across the league to honor Jackie Robinson and what he meant. Should Major League Baseball retire number 21 across the board because of Roberto Clemente's significance as a player and humanitarian and what he means to the larger legacy. He was the first Latino to go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was inducted. They waived the five-year waiting period and inducted him posthumously after the plane crash. But I ask you, Paul, should Major League Baseball retire 21 across the board to honor Clemente and take it out of circulation? The only two numbers that have been taken fully out of circulation in professional sports are 42 for Jackie Robinson in baseball, 99 for Wayne Gretzky in hockey. Should baseball take 21 out of circulation? You're asking me 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. For, you know, you, you talk about what this guy did uh, just for baseball and the way he carried himself. But, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know that, you know, he enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, too. Yep. And he's, he's also in the Marine Corps Hall of Fame as well, too. Yep. So we served... Uh, you know, he enlisted in fifty eight, fifty nine, and he served during off seasons through nineteen sixty four. And um, he's just—I mean, you get—I mean, he's just—you put him up there. I, you know, this has happened a couple of times in the show with certain guys getting acknowledged. What is taking so goddamn long? Please, yeah, explain. Well, to and me. I, look, I answer me I, that. Riddle, I'll riddle you this, yeah. and you answer me that. What has taken it so long for Roberto Clemente's number to be retired? Honestly, I, I, I think it is. And look, there have been other significant players in recent history who have worn 21. You know, I always laugh that Jason Marquis wore 21 for the Cubs. No, Nobody pitchered. Okay, at times during his career. But he wore 21 for the Cubs and served up Sammy Sosa's 600th home run when after Sammy got unceremoniously punted out of Chicago. Sammy Sosa wore 21 for the Cubs. 
and uh, there have been other players who have worn 21. You know, it took them forever to take 42 out of circulation. The last active player to wear 42 on a daily basis was Mariano Rivera. Um, and he was grandfathered in. They said if you were already wearing 42, you could keep it. Uh, before him, the last player was Mo Vaughn. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, look, I, th- I think this is, a, this is a, a moment in time where the year is 21. So let's just go with that whole motif, if you will. Mm-hmm. But what Major League Baseball has struggled to acknowledge, and they're doing a much better job of now, and part of that's because of external pressure and internal pressure. But what baseball needs to acknowledge is, and I've said this on the show before, baseball is the America's pastime, plural. Move that apostrophe back behind the S. It is not America's pastime owned by the United States. It is the pastime of the Americas, plural. And you look at the influence of Latin America on Major League Baseball today, almost a third of the players on opening day rosters were from Latin America. You know, almost half of minor, I think a little over half of minor league baseball players, now that they've shrunk the number of teams, are of Latin American descent. Um, I think now is the time that they take 21 out of circulation. It's way overdue, but I think it would be a step in good faith from Major League Baseball to acknowledge the influence and impact that Latin American players have on the game and permanently recognize still, even with what Miguel Cabrera is doing, what what Albert Pujols is doing, I've, I've asked Pujols about Clemente, and he'll tell you point blank, Clemente is the greatest Latino that ever played the game at the major league level. When you consider that the road that Latinos had to walk to get to Major League Baseball, look, Latin American players have been in baseball for 100 years. They, they were influencing Major League Baseball well before we allowed African American players to get in. The Black Sox scandal is more than 100 years old, and one of the starters for Cincinnati in that series was from Cuba. But if you were Latino and you wanted to play baseball in the United States, they would literally take out a color swatch like you get at the depot when you're buying paint. And if your skin tone fell too far on the sheet, you had to go to the Negro Leagues. No thanks. And and that's why some of the greatest Latino players of previous generations did not play Major League Baseball. Orlando Cepeda's father may have been better than Cha-Cha. <laughs> and he never came over. Great nickname. I, so vastly underused. Uh, and I really hope for continued improved health for Orlando Cepeda because he's an incredible person. But... His father was a, a phenomenal baseball player who was told he'd have to go to the Negro Leagues, and he said, screw that. I'm not here for being treated as a second-class person. I'll stay where I am. Thank you very much. Um, Latino players come over today, and we've talked about this on the show when we've talked about minor league baseball. And in the offseason, LDR folks, we're going to go hard on minor league baseball because there are issues that need to be dealt with in mass here. Um, there are some massive problems with what's going on in baseball below the major league level. And I think this CBA is a time that they could rectify some of that. But when we've talked about this, talking about minor league baseball on the show, they're signing kids that would be getting their driver's license in the U S as a sophomore in high school. And when they're 17, some of them come up here and are trying to learn a language and know how to order food at a restaurant. And they're playing for table scraps financially, and they don't know the language. And not every team has a good translator. 
when I interviewed a couple players uh, at a minor league team a couple years ago. Uh, the first time that I went out and visited them, uh, the bullpen catcher, who was 31 years old and came to play baseball in the U.S. from Venezuela, was the translator. Uh, he was later moved up a level, and uh, a Dominican pitcher who had played college ball at Maryland was the translator. Uh, but that club had one of their front office officials wives and I'm not going to say the team because this was all you know off the record because I didn't want to make a big deal out of it but it's worth making a big deal out of it uh, the wives of one of the front office officials taught Spanish at a community college and she was three days a week tutoring the young players and some of these again 17 18 19 years old to learn English so you're learning the language of your teammates and communication is with signs and you're hoping that the bullpen catcher can discern if you're supposed to bunt or hit it the other way or what uh, when you have your, your meetings before the game. The road for Latinos to the majors is a lot harder than a lot of people give it credit for still to this day. Uh, and... I would say without exception, whether you're a 19-year-old or in the case of Pujols and Cabrera, having been in the majors for almost 20 years, um, you view Clemente as the godfather. And when you start talking about Mount Rushmore, as we did this with Jeter when he went in the Hall of Fame of the Yankees, is Jeter even on the Mount Rushmore for the Yankees? You could, their legacy, their history is deep enough that you could actually make a case that Jeter's not on the Mount Rushmore for the New York Yankees. You, there's no question with Latino history. Not, it's who are the three guys up there with Roberto Clemente? Whether you're 17 years old or 42 years old, he's the guy. And it doesn't matter if you are Yadier Molina from Puerto Rico or Anthony Rizzo from Florida or Curtis Granderson from Chicago. I've talked to Latino guys. I've talked to white guys. I've talked to black guys. And every single one of them will tell you without batting an eye that Roberto Clemente's legacy and that award, because of what it means for what you do away from the field, means more than MVP, Cy Young. Obviously, there aren't the financial ramifications that the individual hardware carries with MVPs and Cy Youngs and all of that. But when they talk about what they cherish most from their career, it's the Clemente Award. And if that award unanimously means that much to the players, no matter where they were born, no matter where they grew up, no matter what socioeconomic background they have. If everyone in baseball recognizes the legacy of this man as a trailblazer for Latinos and what he was as a person, I think it's worth taking 21 out of distribution permanently. And I think most players would very happily, if they're wearing 21 now, trade it in. Uh, you know, Robinson Cano, when he wasn't suspended for cheating... Uh, wore 24 because his first name was Robinson for Jackie Robinson and he wouldn't, couldn't wear 42. So he wore 24. Why do you think Lindor wears 12? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think the fact that no Puerto Rican since Carlos Delgado, who again, a highly esteemed fringe hall of fame level producer, MVP guy was the last Puerto Rican to wear 21 speaks volumes. And I, I think major league baseball should just say, you know what? We're going to have two numbers. Maybe 21 being half of 42 has, has some level of you know symbolism there, but 
I would take 21 off the table. I and I think, the, I think the Players Association would be completely behind it. Um, and I think it would really go a long way in Major League Baseball's long overdue recognition of the influence that Latin American-born players have on Major League Baseball because they have, they have not done a, a good enough job recognizing it. You've started to see them integrated more into what Major League Baseball does from a marketing standpoint. Um, the Spanish language channels for Major League Baseball have become a lot better, uh, but every team didn't have a Spanish language Twitter handle until a few years ago, and that's insane to me. Because it isn't like you're, you've got guys who speak Spanish playing for an only white or only American-born audience. That's not real. It's naive at best. At best, it's mm-hmm. naive. Um, and so I, I do think Major League Baseball, both because of what Clemente means and also as a gesture to recognize the impact and influence of Latin American players on the current state of Major League Baseball, the future of the game, and the history of the game, should take 21 out of circulation and just say, you know what? Clemente is the guy. There are high schools named after Roberto Clemente. Uh, it's not just the bridge in Pittsburgh. So take it out of circulation, retire 21, make it a hashtag, you know, which it's been out there for a while. But I think it's worth saying here on Line Drive Radio that I'm 100% for taking 21 out of circulation. I've been on board with that for years. Um, and I think it's worth jumping on that soapbox for a minute and, and saying it for this audience. Uh, and the audience that we uh, develop over time. 21 shouldn't be worn anymore, except for on Roberto Clemente Day when, when the league honors him uh, in many ways the, similar to the way that they honor Jackie Robinson. Agree, man. Well said. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of individual teams obviously retire individual numbers um, for their franchises and, and everything else. Um, I, again, I sit here and I go, I can't believe it hasn't been done so far. I would throw out there, why not retire number 44, too? I mean, you know, Hank Aaron's impact on the game, too. I mean, a lot of things with with these guys, too. You know, the language, playing in the States and everything else, these guys also, too. And, and no disrespect, it's been so many legends, white player legends, too. This is like, you know, the, the, you, we could have a, a, a show on this in length in terms of whose number should be retired. And again, it beckons back to me. I'm surprised that some of this hasn't been done uh, in the past here, too. But it is what it is. But these guys dealt with a lot of racism, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of barriers. They didn't get a lot of the things that um, other players of other backgrounds got. Their roads were that much tougher and a lot longer. And for them to come out on the other side of it, and then again, like I said, like a guy like Roberto Clemente giving back to his community and everything else. Uh, to me, like I said, this is just a no-brainer, and I do. I, I sit here in shock going, why why hasn't this happened already? So. Yeah, and, you know, I'll just be fully transparent here, Paul. Like, we're both a couple white dudes from New York and Chicagoland, and I've been very fortunate professionally to be able to very intentionally work hard to get to know players, former players, managers, coaches, uh, team staff, and really dig in on kind of what makes them tick and get to know their stories. And I think one thing that even though media has become so much more overwhelming and there's so many places that you can go to talk about sports and so many places you can go read stuff, 
a lot of it's rumor mill. And when we get into the bad, we'll dive into the negative side of the rumor mill. But I think really finding out what makes these guys tick, where they came from, what they're about. You know, I don't care if you're, uh, you know, a kid from the suburbs. I don't care if you're a kid from the inner city. I don't care if you're a kid from the Dominican or Puerto Rico. Everybody has a story and how they got there. And you're right. For a lot of these guys, it's a hell of a lot harder to get to where they are. You know, I think back to, you know, the late Jose Fernandez with the Miami Marlins and the fact that he had to try and get out of Cuba three times before he successfully got to Florida. And the, the stories about him, you talk about some of the other guys that have tried to get out of Cuba and the stories about Yasiel Puig and Jose Abreu and what they went through trying to get out of Cuba, being smuggled across the border in the trunk of a car and eating their passport so that nobody knew who they were in case they got caught. Um, we, don't, we don't talk enough about the stories behind players because I think the legacy, and I'm so thankful it sucks that it, it didn't happen as much until after he passed. But I'm so thankful that more people spent time talking about Henry Aaron's path and what he put up with mm-hmm. after he passed than just the fact that he should still be the rightful home run champion in the history of baseball. You know, and, and the way that race transcends sports, you know, I one of I, I spent some time working with the Tennis Hall of Fame a few years back. And I played tennis for a number of years uh, and was pretty good at it. Pump the tires a little here. But (laughs) walking through there, you know, I grew up in the early 90s, so seeing the stuff from Agassi and Sampras and a little bit of the McEnroe and Connor stuff was great because I was a huge Agassi guy growing up. But the artifact that set me back and had the most impact on me was – a telegram that was tucked away in a corner on a pedestal on the second floor of the museum. No fanfare, just a little slip of paper on a pedestal. On the back of the pedestal, I might add, there were two or three other things on that pedestal that you could go look at. Mm-hmm. Telegram. It was from Jackie Robinson to the military base where Arthur Ashe was stationed after he won the U.S. Open congratulating him for being the first black man to win a major championship. And when you consider the camaraderie that those two had tennis and baseball and the fact that Ash came so much after when Jackie's baseball career um, had come to a close and the camaraderie that these guys have. And when you go to the baseball hall of fame and when you talk to hall of famers, you know, we watch the induction ceremony and you hear Larry Walker and Derek Jeter talk about being part of this fraternity. There aren't many Latinos in the Hall of Fame. And when you see the reverence that Pedro Martinez has for Juan Marichal, and when you see the reverence that other players have for Orlando Cepeda and Tony and when you hear them tell stories about what these guys mean and the way that other Hall of Famers you know, one of the things that they talked about when Phil Necro passed was that he would go and sit in what they called the Latin corner, where the Latino guys in the Hall of Fame would sit in the hotel where all the players stay. He would go rap with them and listen to their stories and play music with them. Um, 
And, you know, you're going to see more of that now. You're, the ballot, again, we talk about the influence of Latino players. The ballot's going to become increasingly Latino. David Ortiz is on the ballot for the first time next year. Mariano Rivera gets in, and he talks about the reverence that he views these other Latino players who came before him have. Even guys who aren't in the Hall of Fame, when we talk about injustices, how the hell is Louis Tion not in the Hall of Fame? That's a whole other soapbox for another time. Tion should have been in a long freaking time ago. So should Minnie Minoso. But the reverence that they have for each other and the reverence that other guys have and the players who are socially aware enough to go ask their stories and develop relationships over time is really special. And, you know, I, again, I, I feel incredibly fortunate that I've been able to spend time speaking with a lot of these folks and getting to know them a little bit. And, you know, I've, I've been able to spend time with Roberto's Clemente's sons and the work that they're doing to, prolong their father's legacy, you know, 50 years after he passed and what they do with their foundation to help support education in Puerto Rico and the work that they've done since the hurricane has been really exceptional. And a lot of the money that they raise around the Clemente award goes to help support that. Um, but we need to talk more about the individual stories to fully appreciate what a lot of these guys have gone through and are still going through. And I think it's going to be a whole nother chapter in that book as we talk about young players from Latin America who didn't have the opportunity, maybe, if you're a single-A guy. Like the Yankees are talking about Jason Dominguez being the second coming of Mickey Mantle. You know, he wasn't a guy who could just, you know, go down to his high school field and get reps in the cage with a machine or go grab a couple high school prospects who throw in the mid-'90s and go play a pickup game. A lot of the young Latin American prospects didn't weren't afforded that luxury during the pandemic last year when we didn't have any minor league baseball which makes the road that much harder because they're younger they've got a higher you know they've got a longer growth curve that they need to take advantage of and obviously there's a lot more work that needs to be done between a 17 year old high school junior learning a language and a polished played three or four years of college baseball product um, and there was a break year in there and that break year, maybe you can take a break year in college and go back and switch majors. It's different when you're a professional athlete and you're getting paid to perform. Mm -hmm. And um, just the, the road that so many Latinos have to walk is so much harder um, than I think we give full credit for. And I think that's, that's the, really the foundation. Who Roberto Clemente was as a person on the merits of his performance on the field, uh, his Hall of Fame resume, it's worthy of – Pittsburgh retiring his number and being in the Hall of Fame. What he was as a person, I think, has merit for 21 being retired across the game. But when you consider what he means to the Latino ball player still today in 2021, I think it would be a big step for Major League Baseball to start having a more in-depth conversation about the Latino influence on the game uh, and the history of Latinos in baseball uh, than they've been able or willing to take to this point. Uh, and it would really be a big step for Major League Baseball with a Latino ball player. So retire it. Take it out of circulation. Let 21 be done and put the flag or the plaque in every ballpark across Major League Baseball so that it isn't just one day in September each year that we talk about the greatness of, of the man that they call the great one, not to be confused with Gretzky. Uh, Roberto's known as the great one because he was a man of strong action, of strong words, of strong character, and uh, he should be recognized as such. Get it done. Amen. Well said, Tab. 
I agree. We're on the same page. Roberto Clemente, retired 21. Get it done. It's too long already. I'm angry here listening to you. Not about Roberto Clemente, but the fact that the league hasn't done it yet. But That was the Figure good it out. this week on LDR. And hopefully MLB comes through and makes it even better and retires the great one's number. All right, pal. So we're going to swing, no pun intended, into the bed at LDR this Swing week. and miss. Swing and miss. <laughs> Staying himself. with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Team. Hey, look, I'm a Yankees fan. I don't mind bringing this up. But the New York Mets, oh. they're just not so amazing. Yeah, they had a couple of good wins against the Yankees. Yeah, Lindor hit three home runs. But, Tab, as far as I know, there are no parades for winning a Subway Series in a regular season. There are no parades if you win, if you hit three home runs against a team in a regular season game. So, you know, they can have it. They can have it. The Mets, until you win a championship, shut up. Stop talking to me, Mets fans. Had enough. You said you're, you're, you're bordering on uh, copyright infringement here for back when Dwayne Johnson was the rock in professional wrestling <laughs> uh, because someone says the Mets and you're just going to snap. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Um, look, the, we've, we've, we've soapboxed at the expense of the poor Mets who should change their name to the mess, change that T to a second S. Um, you know, we've talked about the fact that they went after Bauer as hard as they did. And then he went somewhere else, even though every, there was a big chunk of Mets fandom that was like, keep this trash away from my team. Um, you know, they had to fire their new GM because he's a serial sexual harasser. And then the new guy comes in and gets a DUI. I kind of feel like we're beating a dead horse every just week. When so the everybody Mets knows show up and tabs tabs rolling this off. And I'm just shaking my head. In disgust. Well, and the fact that we've got this laundry list of stuff to go through with the Mets, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, it's just, it's been a gong. I feel like as the music was playing, as we were leading to this segment, the curtain should have opened and the logo for the gong show should have showed up. And I should have been dancing to myself because. Bring that, up that, me and much... the dancing machine, baby. Oh, here we go. Um, but it, so here, here's where the Mets show up in the bad this week. And again, the Mets, have, we, the Mets put themselves on a tee every week and Paulie and I both own a really good driver. So, um, <laughs> A driver, something that their former GM should have had when he got drunk at the owner's house. Ooh, too soon. Anyway, uh, so Thursday, yesterday, uh, a great day for those in New York media who needed layup drills when it comes to great opinion slash column content. First, you had O.J. Simpson complain about the Giants not handing the ball to Saquon Barkley enough on Twitter. Gold. Uh, Maybe he's going to you know, offer a reward to someone to find an offensive coordinator who will hand the ball off. Um, and then you have uh, Steve Cohen, the owner of the New York Mets, billionaire. He, he, you know, he went in his sock drawer to find enough change to pay the Wilpons to get the hell out, um, which anniversary of that sale being consummated was earlier this week. So, you know, congratulations. You've owned the team for a year. Now let's crap all over the place on Twitter. Um, New York Post comes Mike Puma. Go look it up. It had a fascinating column on Wednesday night. 
in which an unnamed former Major League Baseball executive, which I would have guessed Steve Phillips, but apparently it wasn't, um, went on and on about the fact that Steve Cohen being as gauged as he is on Twitter, and we've talked about this, this is, Steve Cohen's Twitter feed has been the bad on multiple segments here on LDR this year. Um, but this former executive went quasi on the record without his name being mentioned, um, saying that it's going to be really hard for the Mets to complete their front office searches this offseason with Sandy Alderson not wanting to run the day-to-day because they, you know, apparently he has, you know, illicit photos of someone, even though it's he, new ownership. He's Mr. Burns just, from The Simpsons, man. <laughs> he, he is Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. And it's like, he, he's still there. And it's like Cosmo Kramer. I keep making Seinfeld references today, but it's like Cosmo Kramer. Like, does he show up with a briefcase that's just got like a bottle of water or root beer and saltines in it every day? Like, <laughs> what do you do here? I don't know. Uh, but I'm here. Let's, let's have a meeting. It could have been a Zoom, but here we are. It could have been an email. Um, they, they obviously need to find a new GM because they have to fire one for being a piece of crap. And then the guy that babysat the job who was in the running to get it in the first place decides that he wants to get hammered at Cohen's house and then drive himself home and pull a Tony LaRusso and have a nap in the front seat. Um, so Cohen has to deal with all this fiasco. And obviously, I don't have to tell you, Paul, the New York media is always very happily willing to just let these things slide and uh, not talk about it much. Um, <laughs> Mike Puma runs this article where a former exec says his willingness to talk about team stuff, whether it's openly asking on Twitter, how the hell are these professionals not able to put the bat on the ball with a guy in scoring position to where are all the haters for Javi Baez now? I guess they took the weekend off. He, he was a super fan and he bought the team. He was a super fan who just happens to have enough money that he can go in his sock drawer between the couch cushions and find enough loose change to buy a major league team in the city of New York. So he couldn't give a rat's ass what you or I say about him because he's a billionaire at the end of the day. Um, But this former exec said it's going to be really hard for them to find somebody who's going to want to put up with that level of scrutiny, um, that level of engagement, an owner that's willing to shoot his mouth off. I mean, Jerry Jones doesn't have Twitter, but he certainly kind of fits that role as the GM slash owner with the Dallas Cowboys. Mark Cuban did it a little bit, but I think he's cooled off a little bit. Um, but Cohen still tweets like he's a fan. But he owns the team. And this former exec called that in the, on, on the carpet and said, you know, it's going to be an issue. Next morning, Cohen wakes up, opens the newspaper, reads this. So what do you, what do, you do when someone says, maybe you shouldn't tweet as much? You go after the guy on Twitter. Thanks, Irony. <laughs> As a Linus Morissette played in the background, Steve Cohen took his laptop out and figured out which emojis he was going to use while misspelling City Field, um, which he actually did in the tweet, which is the best part nobody talks about. Um, and he actually tweeted that it was a garbage article. And if anyone could guess which former executive it was, he had a couple seats waiting for him in his, his suite, the owner's suite. If you can figure out which former executive it was that wanted to call him out. And he later went on. Again, let's throw a little context here. This is a guy, an owner of a team, who is about to engage in a search for very high-level executives who was just called out for ostracizing many would-be executives with how he conducts himself on Twitter. One guy 
who could have been an option for them in a president slash GM role was former Marlins president David Sampson. That's who Cohen decides to go and name personally as the guy who sourced the Puma column for the post. So, it, I mean, you know what? You know who should you know who should send a bouquet? Maybe you know an edible arrangement. Uh, you know, just to keep the kids healthy during the pandemic, you know, send them some fruits and vegetables that, you know, nicely arranged. Um, you know who should be sending flowers to Steve Cohen's office every time he picks his phone up and decides to hashtag the hell out of something? Should I know this? <laughs> Aaron Boone and the batters and pitchers on the other side of town. Thank you, yeah. Because more, more people talked about Steve Cohen's Twitter habits this week than the fact that the Mets took two out of three against the Yankees and that the Yankees are now chasing in the wild card. The little, the little brother made enough noise and screwed it up so much that mean Gene, the dancing machine <laughs> is going to come out with Mr. Met when he, when the mascot stops flicking off fans and making Instagram fodder. And Mrs. Met now too. Yeah. You know, Miss, you know, somebody actually said that they're, Fan Appreciation Day giveaway should be Mr. Met with his middle finger extended, which is crazy because I think he's only got three fingers. He's like a ninja turtle or something. But, uh, I mean, it's it, – you know you know what the Mets should do? The Yankees have the Yes Network, and I feel like Steve Cohen is a smart enough man. He's made billions of dollars being smart at something. If he wants a TV deal and he wants to make more money putting the Mets franchise out there for public consumption – Put the games on Comedy Central. There you go. And, and allow your Twitter feed to just be the play-by-play. It's a gong show, Paul. Yeah, it's been going on. It doesn't matter who, who's involved. I mean, this but is hey, just... Look, you, this is a classic case of the grass is always greener. Mets fans hated the Wilpons for being cheap, being non-existent, being ghosts who didn't spend money and only complained when the results weren't there, and now you got you know you got Cohen giving three hundred forty-one million dollars to a shortstop who's going to give the fans the thumbs down for booing him, and uh, and he's willing to spend money and chirp the hell out of anybody that takes issue with anything that his team does. You know, you 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 went from one extreme to the other. You went from disengaged and cheap to richer than anybody on the planet practically and willing to tell you to go to hell if you tweet something he doesn't like. So here we are. The New York Mets. Yeah. Who, you know, as a as a nice aside, uh last weekend obviously with nine eleven, uh the Mets wore uniforms with New York across the chest instead of Mets for the first time ever on nine eleven. Uh, I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, but nice. you know Nobody remembers. Them. Nobody remembers that because the owner's busy calling people, you know, what's on Twitter because they had the audacity to say maybe you shouldn't tweet so much. So he tweeted about it. Yeah, look, there's a lot going wrong uh, in the Mets, and not only in the clubhouse, off the field, everything else. You know, after the the two wins against the Yanks, they've lost three in a row of the Cards. They're two and six in the last eight. Eight. Um, you know, they they're, they're not going to get in. It's not going on. What I what I also saw within the Yankee series too, and you know. Take the fact that they're playing the Yankees, but it, it obviously it was there was more Yankee fans in City Field to begin with, which that's a that's a huge problem for the Mets organization right there. It thumbs it down did, to that. Yeah, I mean it just goes to show you. I mean it's just it's it's really bad. 
But, you know, the whole Baez-Lindor thing and everything that was going on, I mean, you know, when we talk about it, we like uh, we like the baseball players going out and everything else like that and stuff. But, you know, I just, I don't, I don't think there's anything for the Mets players right now to be beating their chests about. And I think I can only imagine where this is going to go down the road with an owner like Cohen, who, to Mets fans, was, you know, he's a savior. Same way Ledecky's, you know, for the Islanders out here on the island, too. You know, you got the Yankees, you got the Knicks, you got the Giants. You know, there's a big bad, you know, New York. They're the real New York teams, quote unquote. Don't don't take offense to that, Mets fans and Jet fans, and and, and no, and all the fans. No, but no. There's, there's, for those, there's, for there's those a listening, difference we there. will not spend an hour talking about James Dolan today. No, we won't go there either. No. <laughs> Speaking so, of, owners, well, you know what? You're bringing him up. I mean, you, but you you talk about New York and you talk about the colorful ownerships, uh, the owners that have run the teams here. You know, in New York, you know, there's a couple of differences, uh, you know, as far as um, the Maras here and the Giants, they won championships. As far as Steinbrenner, uh, the Steinbrenner family, they win championships. You know, the Mets and the Islanders haven't, they haven't won nothing here in years. And you take uh, just the Mets franchise, it's just, it's unfortunate. But it's, well, and you, this, and, this and you is know it. What? I think they're cursed. I don't think they're ever going to win anything ever again. They got close there in, I can't remember, 2008, whatever the heck it was. Um, but. This is just nonsense. It's a joke. And here, here you are out in Chicago in another city, and you're looking what's going on. This is every day here in New York, but this has been the Mets franchise for years. Well, and you know what, Paul? Like, this should have been, a, you how know. Do you not, a, how a, do you not vet your front office? How do you become a, how are you not a major league baseball team and these sexual predators and DUI drinkers and all this stuff? And this goes back to Phillips years ago, too. This is nothing new. I just, uh, you know, they're, well, they're training that's a whole staff. other soapbox that gets well, into the old I mean, boys club. But this is, this it's, is... It, it's about propping each other up and the, you know, the glad handing of passing people off and, and getting people promoted so that they're not your problem anymore. But um, this should have been a really fun, I would say maybe fun is the right word, week for Mets fans. You take two out of three against the Yankees. You get this multi-part documentary on the 86 Mets on ESPN, which if you think they're a shit show now, go watch that. Um, well, that's the other thing, you know. too. That whole, the more you find out about the 86 championship team, the more it's tarnished. Mm-hmm. They were all freaking hot. You no. Know, you know, yeah, I was going to say, Paul, you know, the, the crazy thing is ESPN reached out to Pepsi to sponsor that documentary, and they said, hell no, you're going to talk about Coke the whole time. <laughs> So, uh, sorry, kids. That's a that's an adult reference for those that are underage listening. Ask your parents what that means. But oh, um, no, it's you know you you could have been in you know tops had a, a you know a special limited run set for the you know the series about the '86 Mets. You know you're celebrating the 35th year and all this other stuff, and you take two out of three against the Yankees. And you know we talked about how the Field of Dreams game could have been a galvanizing moment for the Yankees, and they went on that long run. Hasn't played out that way, but when you look at that Yankee series and you see Lindor hit the three jacks, and this like 5'11", 180-pound kid chirping at Giancarlo Stanton and getting under the entire Yankees' dugout skin, and he's whistling at him, and that's a whole other thing with the allegations that the Yankees are whistling pitches still, and he's whistling at him, 
And then Stanton shares a few comments. When he goes yard as they pass, you see Lindor and Baez together walk over and basically, again, another the rock reference, give them the hand gesture to come on out, the dance music's on, let's do this thing. Those two guys together calling out the entire Yankees bench. They're lucky side by their side. own lives that's, that that didn't that's happen. A moment, but that's a moment at this part in the year where you're like, hell yeah, let's go. If you're a Mets fan and you see Baez and Lindor ready to untuck their shirts, take the jewelry off and go out back and whoop somebody's ass, that's what you want to see as a fan. And then St. Louis comes into town and just puts it on you for three. And your owner is picking fights with columnists who interview unnamed sources who say maybe you shouldn't tweet so much. And here we are. You're right. It's not a downward spiral if you stay at the bottom of the toilet bowl. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they could use a floater every once in a while. But here we are. The the Mets. The Mets. Let's be real here. And I'm a realist. I try to be, right? If it's not for uh, Nathan Lafayette in 94 hitting the post in the last few minutes there against the Rangers in 94, you know, Maybe the Rangers don't want to stay in the Cup of 94. You, you got to watch won. it. If you say hit the post in a playoff reference, Bears fans are triggered. Because <laughs> we've double-doinked our way out a couple times. So yeah. you got to qualify that in a hurry and say Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Rangers, are winning, the Rangers have not won anything. in a, They've won one Cup in a long, long time. If not for Bill Buckner, if you're looking at the New York Mets, it's in 69, baby. That's, that's a whole lot of not winning. That's just a whole lot of futility, man. It's just... it, you know what? And it's a lot of futility fueled by the mediocrity on the field has been all-consuming. The entire organization, from the person signing the checks to the person writing the checks to the person signing the contracts that merited the checks to the people cashing the checks and taking the money out of their ATMs at the end of the day, nothing has defined the Mets franchise over its history as much as the word mediocrity. They have not been able to get out of their own way. They've had Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden. They had Mike Piazza. They had Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. Now they got Francisco Lindor and Javier Baez. Not since they had Nolan Ryan and Jerry Kuzman have they gotten to the mountaintop with the exception of the Coke Field 86. Bobby Benilla. Speaking of people still (laughs) cashing checks. Uh, but no, it's Torborg. Oh my Lord. I mean, in many ways, I mean, it's like the Cubs, but you know, the Cubs are owned by the Tribune for so long that nobody talked about ownership because no one gave a crap because you're reading what the team did in the owner's newspaper, you know, but, but mediocrity has been the Mets and they just, they can't get out of their own way. And you're right. When Cohen bought the team, everybody said, it's a new day. It's a new era. We're moving forward. We've got a fan. We don't have somebody that's just cashing checks trying to make up for the Ponzi scheme that stole his millions. We've got an owner who's got the pockets to compete, who's got a fandom that makes him want to compete. I think that the Cubs being bought by the Ricketts family, similar narrative, I think fed into that. Maybe a fan owning a team is a good thing. Maybe we'll finally get it right. Um, But, uh, you know, a couple days past the one-year anniversary of Steve Cohen you know, signing on the dotted line, here we are, and it is the same, you know, low light reel that it's been for generations. And Tab, you know it covering all the sports too. This is this is a big deal. How how your front office is run, who your ownership is, 
you know, this will make a – I don't care how much money. You know, Lindor, Lindor comes, in, comes in here at the beginning of the season. You know, going forward, this is going to be huge. You know, Baez coming over here too because of Lindor. You look at the facts here. But look beyond past this year. You know, the Mets are going to have a huge problem not only bringing in front office people but bringing in players. It's going to make a huge impact on the decision-making. Now that, now that you know, Cohen is out in the open, uh, how, he's, how he's managing his team, how he's managing PR, and you know what, these guys, money, ego, perception, out in the public and everything else. We'll see. Now in the front office, unfortunately, you might get a turnover of just bad people coming in here, inexperienced people coming in here. They're going to come in here, maybe take the money, you know, because they are. They're going to have to make the decision. Do I want to work for Cohen? I don't care. I'm going to take the money, be in New York City, the Mets. I don't care how bad they are. I'll take the experience and the money and everything else. I might not do a good job. I not be experienced enough, but I'm coming. I'll be shocked, you know, to um, to see if any good quality people come in here for the Mets over the next couple of years. And that's a shame. Uh, you know, I mock the Mets fan base, but they are a diehard fan base. I always tip my hat to the guys in the seventh line who run that, and they, they travel all over the country to see the Mets. And it's just misery upon misery every year uh, seeing them go through this. But I think uh, keep an eye out on the Mets organization beyond this year. You know, depending on what happens with the Baez and everything else and the core guys that they have here. Well, but it, and it isn't only and Baez. What's that? It isn't, only, it isn't only Baez. Marcus Stroman has probably been their most consistent pitcher all year. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, just is, the, is, the rest is of out. the core of these Baez guys. is out. Michael Conforto, who they've invested a lot of time and energy in and the fans really like, even though he's had consistency and problems. Yeah, they're not. They're he's not. out. Like, They're not big personalities. These guys are like quiet, kind of quiet guys who want to come yeah. in here and do their job. And if all this nonsense is going on around here, they don't want to be here. They're not going to want to be here. Right. I mean, look, the, the, the last owner that bought a team with a massive personality and said he was going to change the culture and turn it into a championship organization after years of mediocrity I would say, looking back, probably the best comp would be Mark Cuban buying the Dallas Mavericks, mm-hmm. right? Super fan of the sport, uh, who wanted his team to win, so he buys the Dallas Mavericks, who had a worse history than even the New York Mets. What does Cuban do? Shoots his mouth off a fair amount, but he also gives the players the best facilities in the league. And hires coaches that are going to play a style of game that the players want. And he, he did everything that he could to build a culture that said win. I'll shoot my mouth off here and there. And I'll be in the front row pumping my fist every night. But I'm going to make this a, a destination for free agents. Steve Cohen has not made the Mets a destination for free Steve Ballmer bought the L.A. Clippers, another tremendously mediocre franchise coming out of a dark period where the last owner was forced to sell because he was a racist piece of crap. And free agents are lined up to go to the Clippers. And look, let, this is a perfect comp. The Clippers are the little brother in a big city. The Mets aren't the Yankees. Clippers ain't the Lakers. But guess what? They're free agents that are happy to take money and go play for the Clippers, the fighting Danny Mannings, because... The owner is engaged and spending money to make it a destination. It's been one year, a very tumultuous year, 
Steve Cohen has a lot of work to do. The good news for Mets fans is Steve Cohen has the resources, the money to put really expensive band-aids on these problems, but he needs to fix the culture of the team. And I think Absolutely. Puma's column has a lot of weight. Does his is his Twitter habit going to hinder his ability in the short and long term to get the right people in to change the culture? It's a new stadium. From what I understand, he doesn't need to do much to improve the facilities at City no, Field. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful facility. Beautiful ballpark. Great fan experience. But everything about that organization needs an overhaul. And you know what? Trading for Francisco Lindor, a player who almost universally is considered a good dude, Mr. Smiles is nicknamed. And then you commit 10 years to him. You're saying this is this is where we want our culture going on the field. This is a guy that we're going to build around now. He's 27-year-old shortstop, MVP caliber player. This is what we want. We want he's a leader. He took the freaking Cleveland Indians to the World Series. What can you do with the Mets? You give 10 years to Lindor, that's what you want the field to look like. You bring in Baez as best friend. Now whether or not he stays after this year, even he's kind of 50-50 on. He's not buying it yet. But those are guys who have big personalities. DeGrom's not a big personality. Pete Alonso, outside of the home run derby, very vanilla dude. Marcus Stroman, big personality. He is a tremendous Twitter follow. If you're not, go find Stroman. Great dude. But you, he started to do some things, but will the cultural problems in the organization be so strong? And will his rift now with the media that's beginning to develop with this attack on Puma be something that hurts his ability to find people in the executive suites to help continue evolving that culture into a winning organization? Or will he say, screw you, I'm just going to do me and go find the right people and kind of have that us against the world mentality and you know put the team in a corner and say, let's do this? You know, it, You're right. This is going to be a very, very interesting six months until next season kicks off for the New York Mets because they've got huge decisions to make with guys like Stroman, Conforto. They're a year away from Edwin Diaz leaving, potentially. They're closer. Uh, you know, Syndergaard's walking after this year, too. Baez. They've got a lot of on-field decisions to make. The question is, who is the individual making the long-term financial decisions with this handful of very influential players and is that an individual that these players want to negotiate with? And is this an organization that they want to be a part of? And I think right now, both of us would say probably isn't. And so Steve Cohen's got a lot of work to do. Good news is he's got deep enough pockets that it shouldn't be a problem to pay for remedies. But, man, I, I don't envy whoever's helping him with that job search because it's an uphill battle. Yeah, if not, he's gonna have to have to lean on lean on guys like uh, McCann and Degrom to, you know, solicit players to come here and say, "Hey, don't worry about it. It's okay. Just come here." When when McCann is having a terribly mediocre year after getting a big payday, and Degrom has never really been the recruiting type. 
There you go. Now you're looking at Lindor being the guy with the ten-year contract, who's given the fans the thumbs down to be the guy who goes out and recruits. Good luck. And and Baez, who comes here and he's like, I've always wanted to play with Francisco. This is great. He's my brother. This is a beautiful thing. And he's like, and yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Meet the Mets, baby. Meet the mess. Meet the mess. Uh, the road ahead. Win a few games. You got to win. It's like anything, Tab. You know what solves and cures everything? Winning. Winning. Amen. Championships. Silverware. Stock the, stock the trophy cover. All this stuff goes away. I don't know if that's going to happen in Metstown. Anyway, before we turn the sprinklers on, turn off the lights, close up the concessions, we got to do Tab's fantasy add-on. I think this is uh, LDR's official longest show of the year. Good stuff. So, Tab... What do you got for us? Well, if you're if you're in if you're looking on the waiver wire for somebody to help your fantasy team at this point, that means you're hopefully doing fairly well because you've only got a couple weeks left. If you're dealing with injuries and desperate needs on your roster, it means you're probably in a bad spot. So, what do you do? You go to Detroit, and you find uh, you know I think you know one of my one of my favorite things to do is to find young guys that the Cubs gave up on at one point and tell you, hey, they're a great player. Uh, Jammer Candelario, who's eligible first and third base for the fight in, in a Tigres, uh, 467 on base percentage with two homers, seven runs batted in, eight runs scored, only four strikeouts in the last week, uh, owned in only 34%, so roughly a third of fantasy Yahoo leagues. Uh, if, you're, if you're in a situation right now in your fantasy league that you need a little help, I wish you the best. I'm not. I made my charitable donations to both of my leagues this year and then watched my entire teams just get devastated by injuries. Thanks, Jack Flaherty. Thanks, <laughs> Jacob DeGrom. Uh, but here we are. Thanks, Mike Trout. Thanks, Ronald Acuna. Uh, anyway, um, Jammer Candelario in Detroit, he's got some multiple position eligibility. That's a big deal. Uh, and he's smoking the ball right now on a Tigers team that's doing a, a pretty fun job of playing the spoiler for a lot of people. So uh, if you're looking for help at first or third base and you're looking for somebody that gets on base and he's making some damage happen, Jamer Candelario, Detroit Tigers, this week's Line Drive Radio Fantasy Ad of the Week. Good stuff. Go get them. Go at them. And send us your PayPal accounts for all the winnings, especially after hearing the lack of success that our tab is having this year in Fantasyland. Oh, well. Hey, you know, can't control you the injuries. you got to get it to win it, though. This is true. This is true. And, hey, the Megan and the Powerball are both over $400 million. So maybe if one of us wins, we go call Steve Cohen and say, I've got 40,000 Twitter followers. Maybe I should own a team. Yeah, we should go. Well, we can save up for the All-Star game in Seattle, buddy. Road trip. Mm. LDR road trip. I want to go out to the West Coast with Cabin. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Love that place. Love Seattle. Kraken, baby. Mariners. Seahawks. It's a sports town. Baby, mm. love it. Got to get some hoops back there, too. Bring back the Sonics. Oh, yes. All good. Once again, as always, thanks for listening to Line Drive Radio. Make sure you follow us everywhere at Line Drive Radio, and especially on the Twitter, where me and Tab are pretty much all the time, to our wife's discontent. But anyway, Tab, as always, please say goodbye to the folks. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, kids of all ages, thank you for listening to Line Drive Radio, part of the Revolver Podcast Network. Feel free to turn on a game. Shout at your team for being terrible. Clap when your team succeeds and tweet at whatever owner you want. See if they come back hard. <laughs> Love it. And with that said, Line Drive Radio is out. Go play some ball.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.